Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hi, leaders. Welcome back. This is Ledge. As you know, I am a managing partner of Ad One Zero, where we do B2B sales outsourcing and consulting for services companies in the tech space. And my guest today is Pablo Calawig. He is the CEO and co-founder of Goaigua. Pablo, welcome. I'm going to have you do your own personal intro of you and the company because I know you can do it better than me. So please go ahead and do that. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. It's, it's a real pleasure sharing our insights. Um, so just to give you a short presentation about myself and, and our company. So my name is Pablo Calabuig. I'm originally from, from Valencia, Spain. It's, it's a city on the east coast of, of Spain. And and I have an engineering and consulting background. I've been working in, in civil engineering, water management, and after taking an MBA, I worked for a consulting firm called McKinsey & Company, uh, doing digital transformation for many different companies around the world. And, and after some years looking at how different industries and companies were leveraging data and digital to, to improve their, their performance, I, I decided to, to join my family business and, and support it in the expansion of, of our digital business into different places around the world. And so that's, that's how I started working at, at GoIwan and started expanding our, our, our business, our footprint worldwide. Uh, and I know what, what do we do at GoIwan? What are we? So GoIwan is a software and analytics company that's uh, providing water and wastewater utilities with tools to change the way that they're looking at data uh, and they are using this data to improve their daily operations, to improve their resiliency, to improve the way they're making decisions to provide at the end a better service to the citizens, right? We're, we're a pretty new company, but we have we like to say that we have a really long history because our origins go back to the water utility operation that we originally have in, in Spain that was founded about 130 years ago and from which this little software analytics company was born some years ago and we started expanding it into other places around the world. That's fantastic. So gosh, there's a lot to go into there. You know, So talk a little bit about the traditional business and the consulting background and those things. And then how you got the itch to go and work for the the company business or the family business and you know sort of get into a little bit more of an entrepreneurial setup i think a lot of people have that path i know my, myself i did that big box consulting and you know started to think about i wanted to do my own business how do you do that so just talk about that that journey because it's hard to make that leap sure yeah yeah it's it's you're right it's it's something that you really need to you need to do something and change something to start 
uh, this entrepreneurial. So I started my career as a water engineer. I'm a civil engineer. I graduated um, at the University of Valencia and UC Berkeley, and and I started working in 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 my family business, a water a water utility that, as you can imagine, it was 120 years old. It was a, a very old business that was doing a lot of uh, cool things. But at the end, obviously, for a 21, 22-year-old engineer, it was not very exciting to see things moving and changing. So I decided to take an MBA to change a little bit of my, my career path. And these MBAs, at the end, they have a lot of consulting companies coming to recruit. And somehow um, McKinsey & Company... Um, Call my attention uh, because of how international they were and, and how would I be able to start traveling and helping businesses around the world. And that really provided me with a huge uh, amount of insight of how different businesses uh, were doing things and how they actually were lacking this, this um, value of, of putting this data together from different places of the company. And using it, right? At the end, there's a lot of information uh, that's in companies, but companies don't really make use out of it. So that was something that I was focusing a lot on. I was doing a lot of um, digital and analytics consulting for for telecom companies, for banking, for energy, even television broadcasters in, in Latin America. And it was in 2019 when... One of my family members and the for all CIO of uh, the former CIO of, of for water utility in Spain, they, they called me and they said, "Look, we're starting to think about creating this this new venture. Would you like to come in and, and help us?" And I said, "Yeah, why not?" You know, I was actually at the moment I was looking at what can I do differently. What can I? Uh, I was a little bit bored too of of this. Uh, helping other companies uh, grow. But at the end, I left and just let the company grow. <laughs> so I really wanted to see something happening my, myself. And that's when I decided to basically change paths and, and start this new venture. So yeah, I, I went to Spain. I started helping them see what we should do, where we should do it. And we focused a lot on um, the North American market after doing some, some research. We decided to start uh, Mexico and, and the United States along with some other countries. And, and yeah, that's something we started in 2019. And at the moment, we're already helping some big cities in, in, in the continent, like uh, Mexico City or the city of Houston, some cities in California. So very important problems on water supply and water management. Yeah. Wow. That's So that's interesting. I bet going back to you know a family business and still wanting to do your own sort of path, was interesting. How did you navigate that? Because you would you would have to sort of say, what do I control? Who do I report to? You know, like there's family dynamics. I, I bet that happens to a lot of of the young folks who, you know, sort of come back to the the family business there. I I'm curious about that story. How did you how did you navigate that so that you had some level of you know, agency, but also you kind of report back to the family? Yeah, it's 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 another way of entrepreneurship. At the end, I consider I consider myself a mix between an entrepreneur and a family business because, at the end, I'm creating something new and 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 I get to decide a little bit of of, of my own path. So I have a lot of freedom, and I've been really lucky by the relation that I have with my family. It's not only about you know being business partners, but also about having good relations and. And building together for the future. So 
at the end. I think the key here is, is to, you know, have a good relation with, with your family members and understand that you're basically building together the future. Something that's very unique about these kind of companies is that we're not looking for next quarter profits, immediate next quarter profits. We, we like to think about what's the next generation, what's the next 10 years of success going to look like. And that's how we typically plan. So that's that's one different thing that I've seen, obviously, after working for multinationals that were driven by stock markets or venture capital funds. Going back here, it's a little bit of a change, but I, I think I quite understood that too. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this type of, of data-driven AI, you know, sort of digital transformation, I mean, it's, it's touching everything. And you mentioned six different industries that you work with now, water utility, obviously, you know, like when you, when you zoom out a little bit on that and having the, the experience there, what are the, the common things that you, you sort of take away from that? Like there's all kinds of businesses trying to attack this vector from consulting, from technology, you know, all types, AI, ML, big data, you name it. What, what common themes have you seen? Like, cause a lot of people don't get to, to touch six, seven industries with that. Yeah, so at the end, you, you see different areas of how organizations approach this digital transformation, and you see how some industries have been leading the, the road, have been leading the, leading the path here, versus some others that have, have been a little bit of laggards because of different reasons. Like, I typically see that companies that really excel at, at digital transformation and data management, they have very strong... IT capabilities and uh, IT architectural capabilities. So they, they know uh, very well internally how to manage their systems. And they have a very close relation, cooperation between these IT people and the people that run the business. So that at the end, they, they have really good common objectives. No? They, they work in very agile ways. They, they uh, pursue the same objectives and they don't work in silos. That's some of the things that I've seen. And then another thing that I've seen very commonly is, is on, on the data side. You know, at the end, uh, companies uh, start, especially in the last decade, uh, the number of, I think it's, it's a Cisco report that said that you see that the number of uh, connected devices that at the end are, are data generators, the number of connected devices just exploded in the last decade exponentially. And that is a lot of data. But at the end, the problem is, what do you do with that data? How do you use it? So having a clear data architecture and having basically someone that is in charge of that data within companies, it's incredibly relevant. So that's another thing that um, I've seen many companies succeed with this, especially in, for example, insurance, telco operators and more B2C companies. These companies have um, been leading the path, generally speaking, in, in the digital information uh, world. But then you look at sectors like the energy sector. It's been a little bit behind those companies. But then you look at the water sector. The water sector, it's it's really um, a laggard here. The, the, the water sector has been, because of many reasons, No, it, it's a very public sector with a lot of regulations, which understandably has to happen because it's providing a key you know, service to populations. If, if your water doesn't have the required quality, you, you might have uh, problems, no? So it has a lot of regulations. It has a lot of um, many, many cities. Uh, the water is, is run publicly. It's, it's an all sector. So at the end, 
because of many reasons, it's been a laggard. And, and one of the things that we saw in this, in this sector, because we were part of it for 130 years, is that you can really uh, change the sector without affecting any of these regula- regulatory compliance or cybersecurity risks that, that you might run. And that's the, the path that we chose to take. No? We chose to start digitizing, sensing utilities and taking advantage of all this data, billions of data that are constantly generated at all parts of the utility to change the way that we are using energy, that we are saving water, that we are reducing the risk of failure and things like that. Yeah, got it, got it. When you set out to originally start to solve this problem, how did you build a team? You started from scratch, basically, you know, so put the founder hat on and say, I've got to build a team. And based on the things, you know, how did you how did you go about doing that, establishing the roles? And, you know, because building this kind of technology is is non-trivial. So you have engineering, you have data science, you have, you know, all types of different people, let alone normal operations and sales and you know marketing so talk about a little bit how you started from zero building that team yeah so we were very lucky that in the original water utility we had an incredible team of it professionals and engineers that have been working in developing a lot of really cool things internally for the own operations the cio at the time uh, in, in, in the utility, his name is Jaime Barba. He was the one who really drove this transformation, who pushed this transformation to happen in Global Omnium. And he was basically the, the brain behind all this IT architecture and data um, models that basically, after some years, ended up in, in, in a product. So for us, the, the, key, the key problem we had to solve, it was in 2017, 2018, was the decision of how do we how do we transform a services company into a product company, right? We had very we have most of the key roles that we needed for that. Uh, we just had to provide the right incentive structure, the right environment, so that these people started working for clients instead of working for their own people, right? So that was one of the key problems for us. And then obviously there was a lot of talent that we had to bring outside in to structure some processes and capabilities that we didn't have. Like, I don't know, as you're saying, marketing, it was key. We had to bring people for marketing because we're not used to do marketing internally in our own company. We had to bring people on product. We had to structure a set of dynamics to start, you know, creating sprints to develop and provide product features every two weeks. So that's something that we brought from outside, but at the end, it was it was a mix of capabilities that we already had internally, combined with third-party capabilities. That, as I said, Mibarba, who was the CIO and now is a global CEO, he really played a key role here in in pushing all these things to happen. Yeah, yeah, understood. And how much of that did you? have to orchestrate like from the outside, you know, cause mixing, uh, mixing cultures of new employees and changing incentive systems. And I hear this a lot, like a lot of people think about this idea of converting from a, a services company to a product company. It's, it's now even a thing that I think happens maybe too much. You know, we hear a lot of like professional services type companies trying to, Oh, we need to, we're going to make a product and 
we're going to change to MRR because it's so much better because investors will like it. And, you know, like there's there's good reasons to do that. And there's maybe not so good reasons to do that. And I, I always encourage people, you know, hey, you, you provide a service maybe and a product. It's not one or the other. That that conversion is very difficult when you're used to doing one type of business instead of another. Maybe talk about lessons learned there. Yeah, and and I have to say that we are still on the way to becoming a product company because that's as you can imagine the 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 path is not trivial and fast. But some of the things that we are learning is that you need to look at the product life cycle and you need to make sure that product teams cannot be isolated from customer from clients you need to they need to understand really what clients want what clients need and gather their feedback and that's something that creating the mechanisms and the structure to get this feedback loop correctly without too much noise it's one of the hardest things that as a global company that is in different continents it's not easy to do. So that's something that we've been working a lot on uh, in terms of making sure that you find that balance between people that are selling products, people that are on the ground serving clients and responding to clients' needs versus people that are developing this product you know, and in the most standardized possible way so that it doesn't become a factory uh, of customized software, right? So that's that's a very hard problem to solve that we've been navigating in the last year, year and a half. And I think we've, we've done a great job with the team that we have, but we're still working on it, right? So that was, that's one of the key things that I think we had to navigate. Yeah, that, that point is huge. We should even dwell on that. The, it's when you move from a, a customized or sort of a consulting or services type of methodology and you start doing product, you will very often fall into the trap of every customer wants something different. So we make 20 different versions of our software, which kind of works in a, you know, almost a consulting or a services or contract based kind of, of model but it does not work in software. You can't do that. So how do you design and architect something that has both massive flexibility and retains that core product that in fact doesn't change that you deploy in a SaaS basis for all your customers? Very, very difficult to do this. And almost nobody gets it right at the first time to maintain both strict product discipline and total flexibility you and you need to learn on sometimes to say what do i do and what do i not do like you actually need to learn to turn away business that doesn't fit your product roadmap and your vision for the product i'm kind of see you smile a little bit so i guess you've been through that <laughs> yeah no and that's a, that's an incredibly good point sometimes you need to give give up things no you you, you cannot do everything uh for everyone so at the end you have to to give up some some options you need to give up some opportunities and focus on other ones that you believe that are going to be uh game changers and that's something that we had to do in the last year year and a half and it turned out well sometimes some other times it, it turned out in in lost uh, business opportunities but uh, that's something that you need to keep in mind at the end um yeah absolutely so do you have to manage product sales more delivery like what kind of ceo 
are you? Because what I find is there's a lot of there's CEOs that work primarily business development and marketing, more on the revenue side. Some CEOs are more on the delivery side. Some are more on the chief product officer kind of hat. You know, so I wonder, like, how do you spend the majority of, of your time? And then who else do you have to have to, to do those other things? You can't do it all. Yeah. So right now I'm spending much of my time. As, you, as I said, we're a pretty new company. So we are uh, developing a lot of partnerships and a lot of basically outreach to potential clients. So I'm spending a lot of time in business development, making sure that the public sees us as a, as a player for the smart water uh, world. So that's something that I do pretty much 50% of my time. And then the rest of my time, well, we're lucky because we have basically in Spain, we have a big product team and a big technology team that they're doing a lot of uh, good work. So I don't have to spend much time on that. But then I also spend a lot of time making sure that we have the right processes to, to deliver what we promise to clients, right? So as you start, I like to say that the best marketing is a happy client. So at the end, yes, you have to do a lot of business development and marketing and outreach, but I'm making sure that those promises that you made to the clients that you're serving are actually done. That's a big thing. And that's something that I'm spending a lot of time making sure that that happens. Right. Right. And you, you said before we started recording, you said that you're half a world away from your team about and you're spending time traveling still. It must have been interesting navigating that over the course of, of pandemic and, you know, all types of, of things where so much was changing under your feet while you started a company under totally different circumstances. Yes, yes. It's, it's, we've learned a lot. Teams have learned a lot. And, and also clients have learned a lot. I, I don't, you know, water utilities are basically companies or organizations that are not used to working remotely uh, and they've had to get used to that. So it's it's been a learning curve uh, over the last year. Now, I, I think this is here to stay in many, many places and, and situations. So we're, I, I believe we're going to see many, uh, much of our work being done remotely in, in the midterm. Have you had to deal a lot with security, cybersecurity issues of that that type with because you're dealing with critical infrastructure. And I know that's that's sort of a hot topic now. Yeah, so that, that happened before and after this pandemic, obviously, because we are dealing with data and much of this data it's it's sensitive sensitive data. So we've invested a lot in making sure that um, we go above and beyond the cybersecurity requirements that many of these organizations may have. And and indeed, one of the things that we are doing, and that's something that it's starting to get in our, in our culture, is we, whenever we go to a water utility organization, agency that it doesn't have the, the standards that we as a utility had in the past, we, we have to raise a flag and, and let them know, like, look, you are not using a firewall to protect your infrastructure. Or you're, you know, you're using these tools that are not secure. Doesn't have to do with our product or project, but if that happens and we're providing you with a product, then we might get some negative uh, publicity because someone would probably say, "Oh, these guys came in and and the utility is, is not secure." So we're making sure that both our product is 100% compliant with cybersecurity standards. And that whenever we go to a client and see something happening that is not in line with the cybersecurity standards, we raise a flag to 
to let them know that they should change their policies. Right. And that, I mean, that's a great lesson for anybody doing business in a complex organization. You are going to run up against all kinds of stuff that you can't control that would impact you. That's part of the standard practices, procedures, some of which are really bad at the client. And you have to flag that stuff in uh let's say a politically sensitive way, because it's somebody that you need to do business with kind of did their job not so well in a totally different area. And so you need to call that out while also not impacting the relationship. So I would guess you have to put on your diplomat hat sometimes with those. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Uh, talk about maybe some lessons learned things that you wish you had known and, and lessons that have served you well, you know, looking back a, a couple years on the business? Yeah. So one of the things that, well, one of the key lessons learned, and I already talked about it a little bit, is it's on the, on the product side, like becoming a, a company that provides, generates and, and, and makes software products is, it's not trivial. It's not as easy as you might initially think. It requires a lot of energy. In, and coordination between different teams. But then another thing that we learned, especially as you go internationally, is the, the, the key role, the importance of having uh, good partners, like good relations and longstanding partners that are going to grow with you together. You know? So that's something that we have learned also over the last year, year and a half, as we especially expand our business in, in the U.S., for example, where there's many different organizations, engineering, consulting firms that are basically looking to provide the best services to water utilities. And at the end, they turn into experts, niche experts like us to bring the services to them. So at the end, for us, developing a whole sales channel sometimes is not worth it. And you have to try to navigate these kind of different ways to getting into clients, doing it, doing everything organically yourself sometimes it's not possible. It requires a lot of effort, a lot of money, a lot of investment, and you need to rely on third parties. And for that, you need to have very streamlined processes to train these partners, to provide them with the capabilities that they need so that they can communicate your your benefits the best way possible. Right. So you're really talking there about the difference between developing a channel partner relationship, whether that would be, and that could be a, a value-added reseller, it could be uh, a referral-based partnership or, you know, something of that nature, subcontracting even, and then the difference between those things and direct sales. And I, I often find young software companies trying to direct sell into enterprise and government. It's very, very difficult to, to get started that way it's often more fruitful for them to develop a channel partner relationship, which is also not free and requires a great deal of networking and business development and leveraging relationships, but can get you there faster and cheaper than a direct sales approach. Now that said, ultimately over the course of maybe the first five, six years of your business, you do want to start to shift that revenue mix and focus back to where it's not all based on repart partner and channel because you do need direct, but it takes time to develop that. And I think many times I see companies underestimate the, the cost and complexity of developing direct sales first and not properly exploiting channel partnership. And the other side of that problem being that not using enough money and not using the 
additional runway and revenue and time to develop direct sales at the same time. These are not things that you can do separately. Correct. And you made a really good point, which is another thing that probably can fall under. Another lesson learned, which is government contracts take a really long time. They have a really long sales cycle. So for companies like us that are new, that are small, selling directly to a government agency, it's pretty much uh, impossible. We can do it, but you know, it, it, it's, I'm talking about sales cycles of uh, between six months and one year, one year and a half. So you know, having these partners that are already working with these agencies really can help you shorten these development cycles, get some pilots on the ground, and having your product tested already in final clients. That, that's incredibly relevant for your beginning as a software company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you're trying to work with government, then you want to go out there and use the public data sources and any help you can get to figure out who already has contracts and how you can become a subcontractor underneath their approvals and contracts so that you don't have to go through all of that yourself. It can be incredibly complex and you're very unlikely to get the attention necessary yeah. to do it. I did state and local contracting for years. It's, it's uh, very... <laughs> very complicated 400 page documents and things like that. And uh, it can be really helpful to have a senior partner to, you know, bring you along and, and pay the bill for you (laughs) along that, (laughs) that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good learnings there. I love it. So you're a CEO, you're traveling internationally. Tell me about your, you know, sort of personal thoughts and, and journey and, you know, all the things that they say CEO ship is, lonely and it can be unhealthy for you and you need to do a lot of mental and emotional gymnastics to keep yourself on point so you know what are your personal success sort of metrics and behaviors that are you know allowing you to do this and also stay alive and have a life yeah so well one of the things that i have to say is that i have my family supporting me and they're part of the business too so that's one of the positives of having a working with a family but then the other thing you're too it's it's a lonely it's a lonely um thing you you have to travel a lot you have to visit a lot of uh, clients and at the end one of the things that i like to have it's you know at least i i want to spend three four days a week at home if possible and you know i always try to block some time of my calendar uh, for personal things you know either it can be either thinking either working out either you know like going for a walk but that's something especially after this pandemic i I, i'm based out of new york city where you know all this pandemic started in the u.s and it was one of the cities that was locked down more severely so i realized that at least you know i needed some time to just walk around go for a 30 minute walk think about things can be work-related, not work-related, and always going back home, being there with my partner. That's something that really, you know, helps you uh, stay in touch with the real world, no? <laughs> yeah. So those are things that you need to start, you know, as work gets more and more, you know, work is never going to, to slow down. So then you need to set some boundaries to make sure that you can have your personal life and also, you know, get support. You need to have a good team too that really understands that you can really trust and delegate in. Yeah. I love it. 
I love it. Well, Pablo, thanks so much for for coming. I love the insights. You have a unique circumstance. I hope you know people can learn from from those stories. Anybody who wants to get in touch with you and the company, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, thank you so much again. If you want to get in touch with me, you can visit our website www.goaiwa.com. G O A I G U A, and there you have uh, our email address, telephone, location in the U.S. Happy to to contact individually. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us and appreciate all the insights. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.